We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Cho. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 4, The Crocodile. The air date of this episode was October 21st, 2012. The writers were David H. Goodman and Robert Hull. The director was David Solomon. The title card features the Jolly Roger. We begin our cold open in Storybrooke, where Belle is at the pawn shop receiving a gift of a beautiful necklace from Mr. Gold. Suddenly, Leroy storms in and demands the return of his pickaxe, claiming that just because Rumpelstiltskin possesses something does not make it his. Leroy asks Belle how she can be with such a monster and accuses Gold of keeping Belle as another one of his possessions. Offended, Gold attacks Leroy and immediately begins to choke him out. Belle begs him to stop, saying this is not who he is. Rumpelstiltskin, as the Dark One, turns around and says in that familiar lit, Oh, it's me, dearie. Always has been. Always will be. Belle gasps awake and finds herself in bed. It was just a nightmare. It is still the middle of the night, yet Mr. Gold is not beside her in bed. Belle creeps out of the room and searches for Rumpelstiltskin. Going through the open side door to discover him in the basement, spinning gold and putting a thread of it into a Florence or boiling flask. Cue title card. So uh, Rumpel's making meth in the basement. A tale as old as time. Also, I do love confirmation of Beauty and the Beast living in sin. It warms my filthy rumble heart. In the former enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin comes home to find a young balefire home alone. They go off together in search for Mila and find her drinking and gambling in a tavern with a bunch of sailors. Gently, Rumpelstiltskin tells her it is time to go, to which she says, good, go home. When one of the sailors inquires who the man is, Mila answers, oh, it's no one, just my husband. Rumpelstiltskin tries to reason with her, reminding her of her responsibilities, prompting Mila to attack his masculinity as she feels lashed to the village coward instead of being treated like an honored war widow. She tells him to run home because it's what he's good at. However, when little Balefire comes into the tavern and softly calls for his mother, Mila quickly and wordlessly goes home with them. Aw, poor little Bay makes me so sad. And uh, even though it might be a little inappropriate for the scene, because it's not the focus, I just have to give a hot boy call for our, our first glimpse at Killian, because hot boy. Hot boy. hot boy. Hello, Captain Eyeliner. I love you. I love him. <laughs> that night, Rumpelstiltskin and Mila talk, and Mila says she wishes her husband had at least fought in the Ogre's War. He reasons that he is alive, there with her and to be a father to Balefire. Mila tells him she wants them to move to a new village and start a new life where she does not have to be labeled as a coward's wife. Rumpelstiltskin disagrees and asks her at least to try living here a bit longer, at least for Balefire. Mila promises to try. Ugh. You know, okay, I bitched about this last season, but I feel like I'm going to start sounding like a broken record. The measure of one's bravery or masculinity should never come from choosing pacifism. It was brave of Rumpelstiltskin to go home and return home from war. War is hell, especially a war where only the poor are being slaughtered and the wealthy landowners do not lift a finger except to point out who is going to the slaughterhouse next. Yeah, I do not like the narrative that that not going to war branded him a coward. Like... There are things he has done and from this point in time will do in the future that illustrate cowardice. Like later when he doesn't let go of his powers to go with Bay. Okay, but pacifism isn't one of them. So while I do agree that framing pacifism as cowardice is bullshit, the scene is overall really problematic for me mm. because 
it makes the point that even if you are in a situation you are deeply unhappy about, you have a supposed duty simply because you're a woman to be a wife and mother, even if that wasn't your choice. So multiple bad takes are really made in this scene. Like the anti-pacifism is very bad, but the scene's also pretty horrifyingly sexist, especially since Mila being a mother is referred to as her duty. I don't know. It, it's gross, especially coming on the heels of last week's episode. There's some real bad messages here. Oh, I, I completely agree with you, Lynn. Absolutely. Like it, it yucks me out. Yeah. Like yeah. as soon as it was like, but it's your duty. I was like, oh no. <laughs> okay. So we learned from Belle a few hundred years later that she as a woman didn't even have a whole lot of choices. So clearly like, you know, we wind back the clock like Mila I feel like she really does like have no choice Mm -hmm. and it just sucks. Like it's and that's like sucks because it's like, I don't doubt that Rumpelstiltskin loves her, but like, I do feel like he is trapped in that, like in that mindset of like, Oh, but you're the mom, you know, you're supposed to do this is is what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, and kind of it like, yeah, like it kind of it sets up the tone for the whole episode, which is basically just like women don't get to have a choice. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to talk about that more later, but I feel like like this scene really is like, here's what you're in store for for the whole episode. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. It's just Um, icky. It is icky because we're talking about like gender roles and what Mm -hmm. makes a man and what makes a woman and it's like these roles don't define you you know and they don't have to define you and you guys could have found like another medium had the writers been just a little bit more imaginative yeah like listen friends listeners countrymen gender is a fucking construct Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you don't even need it let's just throw it out yeah Gender is stupid. Gender is stupid. (laughs) Stop gendering things that don't need to be gendered. Yeah. A pair of pants is just a pair of pants. Yeah. Okay. Back in Storybrooke, Belle waits in the living room until Mr. Gold comes up from the basement in the morning. She confronts Mr. Gold about the magic she had seen him creating in the basement. He tries to deflect her with a promise of breakfast. To no avail. Mr. Gold tells her that it was nothing, just a couple of spells. When Belle presses him for the reason he brought magic to Storybrooke, Rumpelstiltskin reiterates that magic means power. You don't need power. You need courage to let me in, she says before walking off. Bro, just communicate. Like, haven't you been listening to us over these previous episodes? Like, (laughs) just tell her the truth. Yeah, this is some absolute toxic withholding bullshit, and I'm not about it. Like, at bare minimum, this woman is owed an honest conversation after all the shit she's been through. Absolutely. 100%. In the enchanted forest of the past, a neighbor informs Rumpelstiltskin that Mila has been kidnapped by the men that she was in the tavern with, and they are about to set sail. Rumpelstiltskin goes aboard their ship and begs for Mila's release. Captain Killian Jones proposes that they fight for Mila and throws down a sword for Rumpelstiltskin to fight with. Unable to fight with his crippled ankle, Rumpelstiltskin implores Jones, please, sir, what am I going to tell my boy? To which Jones replies, try the truth. His father's a coward. (sighs) The ever-loving toxic masculinity bullshit is this bizarro message on about. (laughs) Like the cowardly storyline of Rumpelstiltskin pre-Dark One. Pre-Dark One is utter garbage. And I just, ugh, I can't with this bullshit. Broken record. In Storybrooke, the dwarves and charming Grandpa Himbo are seen digging underground in an attempt to find diamonds to turn into fairy dust while Henry watches and Ruby delivers a basket of bread and other goodies. 
David puts on his flannel, much to every viewer's disappointment, as it is time for him to head up and take his role of sheriff, just until Emma returns. Charming winking in his tank top was wholly unfair. Far Mm. too handsome, sir. Too handsome. Also, Ruby's outfit is so cute in this episode, and I am glad she's here too. I'm glad Charming and his arms are here. This is the only scene I like in this episode. (laughs) 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 Just Charming and the gun show was Mm. is all I like. And a little wink. I know. God damn it. I know. (laughs) Meanwhile, Mr. Gold seeks Belle out a little while after their tiff, only to find her missing. He goes to see Mo French at his place of business, Game of Thorns, as Mo had a missing poster drawn up of Belle and posted around town. Mo has not seen his daughter and calls Rumpelstiltskin a monster because reasons. I'm pretty sure the reasons is him beating him half to death last year. Fair. <laughs> oh, two disappointing men having a disappointing contest. This scene is so clunky. Like it's either badly written or badly edited. I don't know. Rumpel reveals that Belle made a flyer looking for her dad, but we never see it and it is never mentioned again. And all this scene really tells the viewers is that Rumpel was likely keeping Belle away from Mo out of fear. She is going to leave him once she discovers Rumpelstiltskin beat the tar out of him. Which, in his defense, he believed Maurice responsible for her death at that time. But also, what the fuck is Mo doing saying a trade he made with Rumpel? He didn't. Bell made it. He flout out refused Rumpel's trade. Mr. Gold getting rid of Bell's flyer looking for her father is so not okay, though. Like, sure, this guy sucks. But it, it's really awful that he blocked her from reaching out for her family. Like, I don't know. She doesn't deserve to be treated this way. I just... I feel awful for Belle this whole episode. And we never actually get confirmation. Like he, like Mo just assumes that, right? If Rumpelstiltskin got rid of that flyer, why the fuck would he mention it? Like why at all? Like he's like, I thought she would reach out to me. And then Rumpel's like, like she tried to, like she made up a flyer too. And it's like, it was like, oh, I bet you got rid of it. And like, he doesn't say anything to that, but I'm just like, that doesn't mean a mission. It just means like, okay, dude, I'm not going to engage you in this because this is not why I'm here. I mean- I suppose, but I don't know. Belle gets the shit under the stick so much in this episode. And like the undercurrent of this damn thing is just that she gets no say in her life because the men in her life have decided that. Like Mm. Mo French is a piece of shit. I'm not saying that he isn't. But kids, if the guy you're with actively tries to isolate you from your family, that is bad like whoa and super red flag behavior absolutely yeah so there's there's no there's no winners there's no winners in this no. scene <laughs> no. in the enchanted forest of the past rumpelstiltskin is now the dark one in a tavern meeting william smee who says he trades in hard to find objects such as a magic bean that can transport one between worlds when he is able to procure said bean for rumpelstiltskin Smee wants eternal life in return. They compromise that Rumpelstiltskin will restore Smee to youth instead. After Smee leaves, the Dark One is about to take off when Captain Killian Jones and his crew enter the tavern. The Dark One decides to wait and watch. Rumpelstiltskin legit like force chokes Smee. I was like, oh, that's straight up Darth Vader move. Yeah. (laughs) In Granny's diner in Storybrooke, Belle is drowning her sorrows in iced tea. Ruby strikes up a conversation, remarking she has never seen the newcomer. Belle evasively replies she has been a kept woman, but maybe heading towards a breakup. Ruby is so charmed by Belle and her love of iced tea. She like instantly wants to protect her, but she's very cute. Ruby is the best. 
She is. She is also absolutely the best. Just has like much like Mulan, instant bisexual chemistry with every girl she talks to. <laughs> absolutely does. Very God true. bless her for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is a good scene with them. So. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. Ruby tells Belle that Granny may have a room in the end that she could stay in. And as for work, Ruby suggests the library after Belle tells Ruby she loves books. Belle goes to investigate the building, and when she is peering through the boarded-up library window, William Smee startles her and begs for change. When he assures she is alone and not meeting anyone, he grabs her and kidnaps her. Dude, poor Belle really can't catch a break. Elle isn't even my favorite character in this show, and the way she gets treated in this episode honestly makes me sick. Yeah. This poor woman. I know. I know. This fucking episode. Yeah. In the Enchanted Forest of the Past, Rumpelstiltskin bumps into Killian Jones in an alleyway while disguised as an old beggar. Jones pushes him down to the ground and bullies him, remarking that he looks like a crocodile. Rumpelstiltskin laughs along as he stands up and throws back his cape, revealing that he is the Dark One. Jones and his crew are immediately tense as Rumpelstiltskin toys and taunts with them. He asks about Mila, and Captain Jones initially pretends as if he does not recall who she is, until Rumpelstiltskin offers to dig out the memory, a messy business. Killian drops the pretense and grows somber as he reveals Mila is dead. Startled by this news, Rumpelstiltskin is at a loss for words until Captain Jones asks him what he wants. Regaining his flair, Rumpelstiltskin demands they finish their duel the next morning at dawn. He tells Captain Jones to get his affairs in order before threatening to kill Jones's crew if he does not show up. Meanwhile, back in Storybrooke, Mr. Gold seeks help from David, who is filling in the position of sheriff. David nearly closes the door on Gold because he is still cleaning up the chaos left in the wake of the Wraith. I'm glad Charming kept the crazy steampunk lock that August installed. Like, nice little visual piece of continuity there. I enjoy that Charming opens the door and is just immediately over it before he's even been asked anything. (laughs) He's just like, done. Done. No. Absolutely not. (laughs) Gold apologizes for his poor judgment and muscles himself into the loft to ask for David's assistance in finding Belle. David recalls that Rumpelstiltskin once told him about a woman he loved, and Mr. Gold confirms that this is the same woman. He confesses that no one in town is likely to help him given what he has done, but that David is in a unique position to empathize because of Emma and Mary Margaret. All right, Rumpel is so earnest and vulnerable. You know, good for him being honest about his shortcomings and asking Charming for help. Too bad that he couldn't do this with Belle, but, (laughs) you know, he's slow to learn. He's slow. It wouldn't be once upon a time if men weren't disappointing. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Back in the Enchanted Forest, Captain Jones is heading to his duel when a sword is thrown unceremoniously down at his feet. He looks up to see Rumples sitting atop a stone arch. Pick it up, dearie, and let's begin. Jones goes to reach for his own sword, only to discover it is missing. The Dark One has taken it, remarking, Sorry, but killing a man with his own sword was just too delicious to pass up. They fight, and in no time Rumpelstiltskin disarms him. On his knees, Killian prepares for the final blow of the sword. Rumpelstiltskin snarls that having his wife stolen was like having his heart ripped from his chest. Here. Let me show you, he snarls as he plunges his hand into Killian's chest and begins to squeeze the life out of the pirate's heart. When all of a sudden a woman yells, stop, Rumpelstiltskin turns in shock to see Mila, dressed to the nines in pirate regalia. Legit, what a glow up for Mila, though. She looks cool as heck. Pirate life suits her. Dude, right? Girl looks hot. 
Well, I will say the corset she had in the first tavern scene made her waist look snatched as hell, and I was here for it. <laughs> yeah, I I love this outfit. It's costume. so good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so hot. Yeah. In Storybrooke, Smee takes Belle inside a shed at the docks where he reveals that he was just a hired goon to find her, and then enters her father, Mo French. He thought kidnapping her was the only way to get her back from Rumpelstiltskin, as he assumed she was still his captive. Belle confesses she chose to be with Rumpelstiltskin because she fell in love with him, but now she does not know if it will work out. Mo is relieved and desperately pleads with her to promise that she will not go back to Mr. Gold and will never love him again. Outraged, Belle tells him that it is her choice, her life. Mo, realizing that he will not be able to make Belle see his ways, tells Smee to, quote, do it. And Smee takes her once again while Mo says, goodbye, Belle. I love you. I have no fucking words for how much this man chaps my ass. You can just fuck right off, sir. Sir, sir, do not kidnap your own daughter. Message to all dudes, stop trying to control Belle. Like, Mo French, this is so fucked up. Great. I love how this whole fucking episode is just about punishing women for making choices that the men in their lives don't agree with. Like, this episode is gross. Yeah. Meanwhile, David is hitting the pavement around town, Belle's missing flyer in hand. Mr. Gold stands away so as not to taint the investigation with his reputation, but people are getting pissy as they regain their memories of their Dark One-related run-ins. Irritated, David leads them off to Granny's when an anxious Gold stops him and inquires how he and Margaret, you know, how does that work? Chuffed, David turns to Rumpelstiltskin and asks, are you asking me for dating advice? Uh, of course not. No, Rumpel lies like the liar he is. David sighs before telling the other man that hard work and being honest with one another is how they make it work. I don't lie, Rumpel insists slightly. David elaborates, explaining that there is a difference between literal truth and honesty of the heart a lesson which the curse taught him. Charming is just like, bro, like just talk to her. Maybe don't isolate her from family and friends. Respect her as her own person. And like, don't lie. My cursed self did a lot of lying and it fucked everything up. Just don't do it. I'm glad we have Charming in this episode to be the one instance of non-toxic masculinity. Charming is a blessing and we are happy to have him here. I tell you what, if it weren't for Charming and Handsome Captain Eyeliner, I'd have turned this episode off. I hate it so much. Charming drinks his respect women juice. Hell yeah, he does. <laughs> Fair. Good Fair man. play. Yeah, <laughs> he's a good man. Be giving lessons like at the community center or something, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, how not to be a complete and utter asshole. <laughs> many, many men from Storybrooke should go to that class. Oh, yeah. He's like, so I, know, I know from experience. I was cursed to be David. David was a dick. Let me Mm. tell you all his things he did wrong and how you cannot repeat that. Yeah. Take it from me, a former toxic male (laughs) identifying man person. (laughs) She could also help out, I feel. Yes, he could help these lessons. Oh, yeah, Archie could help. Archie, Archie, oh, yes. Absolutely. No, yeah, yeah. Archie, like he could help out these lessons. Oh, yeah. No, Archie's Archie's a good boy. Archie's Archie's a good boy. boy. He's got like other issues, but toxic masculinity is not one of them. No, (laughs) no, he's, he's the anti-toxic masculinity. Yes, exactly. Archie Archie definitely drinks his respect women's juice too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every morning. With practice. In the enchanted forest that was, Rumpelstiltskin releases Killian out of shock. The pirate urges Mila to run, but she refuses to leave without him. 
Enraged, Rumpelstiltskin realizes that there is more going on than he was initially led to believe. Mila begs Rumpelstiltskin to stop hurting Killian because she can explain. Tick-tock, dearie, tick-tock, he says impatiently. She explains that she fell in love with Killian the night she met him at the tavern. She apologizes as she did not know how to tell him the truth of her feelings. Rumpelstiltskin advances forward to kill Jones, claiming he has not realized the power of true love before now and desires to break it with Jones's death. Mila stops him in the nick of time, showing him Smee's hat, claiming she has the magic bean and that she will give it to him in exchange for their lives. Rumpelstiltskin does not fully agree to this bargain as he wishes to first see the bean. I want to say Mila makes a really great pirate. <laughs> like mm. she clearly thought on her feet. Like she was like, oh my God, we have this guy. And this is the thing that, you know, Rumpel wants and he's totally going to kill my man. And so I'm going to go, you know, out there and go get him. Props to her. She's probably a better pirate than Killian. Yeah, I would, I would guess so too. I think because she's scrappier. She's been at rock bottom, I think more than he has in life I'm up to this point. In Storybrooke, David and Mr. Gold resume their search for Belle at Granny's Diner to ask Ruby if she had seen her there. Ruby says Belle was there, but lies and says she does not have any leads to where she is now, being distrustful of Mr. Gold. Ruby is over the men in this town. Good for her. Also, I love that her initial reaction is, oh, hell no, I never narc on a bitch. Yeah, like, good on you, Ruby. She's like, I've only known Belle for 20 minutes, but if anything happens to her, I will kill you. Like, she's got to protect the pretty girl who likes iced tea and books. Respect. Ruby's the friend you call at, like, three in the morning to help bury the body. Because, I mean, knowing what we know about Ruby, she might have, like, helped you create that body, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Ruby tells them if they do find Belle to give her the cardigan she had left in her booth. Mr. Gold states he had given Belle the cardigan to keep warm because she did not have one of her own. After seeing that he cares, Ruby decides to help by utilizing her sensitive sense of smell to help track Belle. I guess it's the wolf thing. Hell yeah, it's the wolf thing. <laughs> Ruby leads them to the flower shop Game of Thorns where they confront Mo about Belle's whereabouts. Mo tries to order Rumple out, but David and Ruby reassure the florist that they are just worried and won't let any harm to come to Belle. Mo reassures them that she is safe and he will not give Rumple the chance to talk to her as he believes gold will destroy Belle. Rumple begins to panic, demanding what Mo has done with her. I have to make her forget about you, he says, even if it means forgetting about me. Rumpelstiltskin realizes that Mo is sending Belle across the town line. David marches Mo out of the flower shop, demanding how he is able to get Belle across the town line as they have patrols guarding the area. Mr. Gold hulks out and chokes Mo with the cane of feels, nearly busting his windpipe until David pulls him off, noticing that Mo has coal dust on his hands. Ruby and Gold hijacks the florist vans and take off. Charming in the scene is just like, fuck these men trying to control this lady's life. And good on you for that, Charming. He's so good i do love though that ruby is already in the van like turning oh, yeah. on the engine she's like Fuck oh yeah it, let's go and like she's just like, like get in the van you stupid bastards yeah like, like she's already like kind of peeling out when gold just sort of like jumps in and is like climbs into the seat before she floors it she's, she's like so not, not my new best friend oh. oh there's a pretty girl in trouble somewhere ruby's on the case exactly like, I gotta save her i gotta save her
Back in the Enchanted Forest, on board the Jolly Roger, Neela has Smee hauled up from the brig and shows Rumpelstiltskin the magic bean. When he goes to take it, she throws it to Jones, who catches it easily. They want a confirmation of their deal before they give him the bean. Can we go our separate ways? Mila asks. Coolly, Rumpelstiltskin wonders if she meant to ask if he forgave her, if he can move on. He says perhaps, as he can see she is truly in love. He has just one question. How could she leave Bay? The ropes begin to break on the Jolly Roger as Rumpel says, do you know what it was like walking home that night knowing I had to tell our son his mother was dead? This is pretty fucking rich considering this episode comes after Balefire opens the portal and Rumpelstiltskin just like watches him get eaten into another dimension because he is here <laughs> follow through. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, okay, oh. buddy, maybe tone it down. Oh, no. Well, and and here's the thing. Mila never asks about Balefire. And her as a character, I'm like, okay, whatever, right? We don't know too much about her, but like, I feel like that's such an oversight of the writers. Well, yeah, it's once upon a yeah. time. Yeah, I'm it's, just it's like, definitely a failing in writing. I'm yeah. like, how is she not asking about her? Like, this is like the perfect open right here where she goes, well, how is he? And him just having to like fucking tuck his tail between his legs and be like, never mind how he is. You oh, know what I mean? Good. Fuck. Really good. It would have yeah. been so good because it's like, it was, oh yeah, it, you both are like selfish bastards as parents. You know, mm-hmm. like you both fucking failed him. It at like, least would make dang. him address that like he can't just put everything on her because he definitely just as much failed fail fire. Yeah. Right. Poor kid. Like in some respects more so because his kid was like begging him to come with him and he was like, I want you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like, fuck that noise. Get in the hole, you douche. Get in the hole. Yeah. Your sweet bay is in there. <sighs> so Mila says that she was wrong and that she was the coward all along and she let misery cloud her judgment. He asks her why she was so miserable and she growls, because I never loved you. Enraged under a facade of calm, Rumpelstiltskin plunges his hand into Mila's chest. Killian makes to help her but is thrown back by magic and held to a mast by ropes. Rumpelstiltskin pulls out Mila's heart. Killian is freed from the ropes and catches Mila as she falls backwards, easing her onto the deck. Mila touches his cheek and whispers that she loves him, right as Rumpelstiltskin looks on and crushes Mila's heart, thus killing her. (sighs) You know, there are a lot of people in this fandom who hate Mila. And listen, she isn't a perfect character, but like, why would you have somebody flawless, right? She's flawed with real, real human foibles like her story with Rumpelstiltskin human Rumpelstiltskin is easily one of the most relatable stories I feel like this is a legit thing that happens marrying too young and growing apart and then resentful right and then you have to learn do you stay with the kids and be miserable for like the rest of your long life or do you leave do you get out you know whether it's with the consent of your spouse or not you know like she's not my favorite character but there is just there is no justification to murder your estranged wife like none this whole thing makes me goddamn livid <laughs> like i know when i originally watched this episode i had somewhat of a poor opinion of mila but now i'm just genuinely enraged on her behalf like this just ties into the grossness of last episode and a woman's worth being connected to bearing and raising children like arranged marriages are already established as common practice in this universe like we've already seen that and clearly birth control is not a thing unless there's i don't know some fucking magic contraceptive they don't talk about so here's this woman in a situation that she likely never wanted 
and even more likely had no say in whatsoever. So who's to say she actually even wanted to be married or have kids? But it's already been established by earlier shitty conversations this episode that she's pressured into that being her duty. But, you know, she'd better be a wife and a mother, never mind how what she wants or how she feels. But sure, let's just fucking murder her the instant she actually tries to have some semblance of agency in her life. Like, it's fucked. This episode is fucked. I hate it here. Yeah. Like, this one's really fucked up, guys. <laughs> I hate this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, to me, this was sloppy and rushed and just went 10 shades of wrong so fast. I don't know. Like, I don't see how people, especially female identifying people, can watch this and and hate this poor woman. You know, have you never been trapped or known someone who's been trapped in a life that they were so unhappy with and that their partner was not listening to them? Like Rumple was not listening to her. Like, yes, she fell in love with Killian. Yes, she was like going off and like drinking and stuff. But then she's like, let's move away. Like she was willing to just like move, like, let's move. Let's, can we please go somewhere where people just don't know us? And that's like a real feel. Like you're born in some backwater middle of fucking nowhere town. And one of you gets a bad reputation earned or not, doesn't matter. That's tainting your whole family. And again, that reputation is deserved or not. Doesn't fucking matter. Like, it's like, hey, let's move. Like, hey, let's 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 go somewhere else. Let's try to see if this can work out somewhere else, you know? And I feel like that would have been like, you know, the correct thing to do. Like, let's fuck off somewhere else, you know, where people just don't know us. And clearly this is just like going to haunt them. Like, it just sucks. And I think that is a moment where there is Rumpelstiltskin's cowardice actually shows the fact that yeah. he, he will not leave and start over with her. Yeah, he would not fit. He actually would not take the time to fix his relationship, which yeah. is now reflecting with Belle. That is where he is a coward. Absolutely. Yeah. He didn't fix the relationship with him and Bay. He let Bay, exactly as Lynn said, yeet off into another dimension. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is where the cowardliness comes in. Mm -hmm. Women, when they leave their family, right, to go and find their joy somewhere else, right? I feel like they are so much more vilified. Oh, they are. Than when a man leaves their family. Because, oh, that's just men, man. They're just, they're just dogs. They're just, you know, what can he do? You know, whereas women don't even have, nine times out of 10, women don't even have the luxury of fucking making that choice and yeah. leaving. Now, I say this fully cognizant, knowing about Robert Carlyle, the actor who plays Rumpelstiltskin, in that his mother did leave his family and completely walked out on them. And which makes the Rumpel, Mila, Balefire story very interesting to me because I'm like, did he as an actor have a say in this or was just just happenstance, you know, but he's talked about it before in interviews, but his mom left when he was like very young, like four, six, you know, somewhere around that age. And he was raised by his dad. So I'd be curious to know if like if he had any sort of say or if he just was like, huh, wow, what a quinky dink, you know, or if they even got approval from him, be like, hey, is it, does this hit a little too close to home? <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm curious. I'll probably do like some research on this. It's something something to look up, not justifying it in any way. I'm just saying like it just adds like a, a weird new element to this story. Mm -hmm. But I digress. <laughs> 
Killian Jones looks up at Rumpelstiltskin and says, you may be more powerful now, demon, but you're no less a coward. Rumpelstiltskin demands the magic bean, but Jones refuses to give it to him. Quick as a flash, Rumpelstiltskin cuts off Jones's hand. He wants Jones alive to suffer as he once did. Jones grabs a hook and stabs Rumpelstiltskin with it, but it does not kill him. Jones promises that he will find a way to kill him. Rumpelstiltskin remarks and says, well, good luck living long enough before disappearing in a puff of smoke. Captain Jones picks up the hook and looks at it meaningfully. In Storybrook, Smee places Belle in a minecart and handcuffs her, explaining that once he shoots her off down the mineshaft, it will cross the town line, thus Belle will forget all of her memories. He launches her off on the world's worst carnival ride as Belle pleads for mercy. Mo French, how and or why did you set this whole thing up like a horrible saw trap? Like, shit, dude. Yeah, I didn't even really know how to like a- like <laughs> adequately describe the weird fuckiness. Okay, so like Smee handcuffs her, but like he's like, here's the key. So when the cart stops, you can unlock yourself. I'm going to put it on the floor of the cart. She's just like, uh. And even though in the, amidst all her panic, she goes for it. Like, you know, as the cart is like fucking shooting off, you know, as the cart like races towards her doom, a jolt shakes it before the cart begins to pull itself backwards, where Mr. Gold is using his magic to pull Belle back into safety. So once it stops, Rumple magics the handcuffs off and David scoops Belle out of the cart and onto her feet. After checking to ensure Belle's memories are intact, Mr. Gold goes in for an embrace, only to be gently but firmly pushed back. Belle thanks him for saving her, but cannot be with him if he refuses to be honest with her. Mo, who's there, in an attempt to curry that world's best dad title, urges Belle to come home with him instead. Uh, after what you just tried to do to me, Belle scoffs. She decides she is better off without either man in her life and declares that she does not want to see either of them ever again. You know, I am a Rumbeller, but fuck, man. Good for her. This is why I love Belle. Yeah, God, fucking good for her. Like, this episode is just men treating her awful, and I'm glad she is just like, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah, I'm legit so proud of Belle in this moment. And I do love that. It's just like, no, man, strike. One strike, you're out. Goodbye. Like, I'm out. I'm not. She doesn't stick around for it. She's just no, like, no. She's like, I'm capable of making friends. I just, I met this lovely bisexual wolf girl and uh, who, who gave me lots of iced tea. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. The next day at Granny's Diner, Ruby is introducing Belle to pancakes and other food native to the land without magic because Ruby is an amazing friend and Belle has never eaten any of these wonderful, delicious things before. And Ruby tells her that she can stay at Granny's until she gets on her feet. Ruby is so damn smooth in the scene. She's the best and I love her. Yeah, really. I mean, geez, Wolf Belle for life. That's, <laughs> uh, and you take that any way, which way you, you want to swing it. It's they're They're so damn cute together. <laughs> Belle can read to her about lemurs. Yeah. she'll actually find out what a lemur really is yeah she can she can find a book on him and then she can show her a picture about it she'll be like <laughs> oh, lemurs ruby hands bell a little box saying someone left this for you at the front desk opening it bell discovers a key to the library when she goes to investigate she finds mr gold there waiting for her he was the one who left her the key mr gold mentions there is also an apartment upstairs for her to use her defense is up. Belle begins to warn him that if this is some scheme to win her back, but Mr. Gold interrupts her and insists 
that, no, this is not what this gesture is about. He came because she was right about him, that he began collecting power to bury his cowardice, but it could not protect him, not even when it meant losing his son. Rumpel explains that he had created the dark curse to find his son, Balefire, and once the curse was broken, that instead of searching for him, he brought magic. Magic has become his crutch, and he doesn't know how to walk without it. Now the price for bringing magic to this land is the boundary on the town line, which will make him forget the very person he set out to find. The night Bell spied him in the basement, he was working on a way to break this new curse. He tells Bell that he does not want to leave her not knowing all of this and bids her goodbye, but she stops him. She asks, have you ever had a hamburger? Of course, he says. Well, I haven't, she says, and maybe they could get one together sometime. Rumpel says he would like that. Okay, so question. From the scene, it sounds like the magic story brick border is now only here because Rumpelstiltskin brought magic back. So like, is this new order formed as a way for magic to protect itself from the rest of the land without magic? Just to make sure that like anyone who leaves can't bring the fact that magic exists with them. Like that's the, in- that's the intention behind this, this conversation, right? I, you know, I, I did believe that was the price for yeah. bringing magic back. Like, you know, there's always some sort of like fucked up Murphy's law sort of, you know, like irony twist to it, to a lot of like magical prices. But I really like your theory of the magic protecting itself. So it can't be brought outside into the land without magic. Yeah, basically it's stopping itself from being discovered. So essentially by bringing the magic, he shot himself in his own foot. Mm-hmm. So again. It's, again, it's, just, it's, yeah, it's a cycle there, right? <laughs> that is cyclical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to headcanon that. That's great. Look at you. All those critical thinking classes. Hey. Hey. In the enchanted forest of the past, Rumpelstiltskin takes Killian Jones's hand home and unclenches it discovering that the bean was not in it and Jones had tricked him. <sighs> no beans. <laughs> no beans. No beans for you. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, on board the Jolly Roger, Smee, whom they had taken prisoner to get the magic bean, is released, and Jones gives him his life in return for the bean. Smee sees this as a downgrade to eternal life, but Jones reassures him as he throws the bean into the water that they are all going somewhere where none of them will ever grow old. The bean opens a portal in the sea, and Jones puts on his shiny new hook and orders the crew to sail into the portal. Smee asks, what is this land? And Joan replies, Neverland. I love you, hot goth pirate man. I am very happy he's finally here. Aye, aye, Captain Eyeliner. <laughs> In Storybrooke, Mr. Gold has Smee tied to a chair. Because <laughs> of course he does. Because <laughs> he recognizes him from the world due to Smee's hat that he had found in the mines. He asks Smee where Killian Jones is, and Smee claims that he has never seen him in Storybrooke, and that when the curse hit, it didn't take him. Rumple demands to know where he is. Meanwhile, in the present-day Enchanted Forest, Killian Jones is looking upon the safe haven island through his spyglass when Cora walks up to him and calls him Hook. She shows him a bottle with the ashes of the magic wardrobe that they can use to get to Storybrooke, where she can see her daughter again, and Hook can skin myself a crocodile. End credits. Oh, boy. Rant times, guys, because, boy, do I have problems with this episode. Go for it. (laughs) The misogyny in it is absolutely 
horrifying. Like, imagine my surprise that men wrote it. Listen, I'm not trying to come across as an angry feminist. I'm not. But men, you need to do better by the female characters you take it upon yourself to write. We really only spend any time at all on really two women in this episode. We get Ruby for a hot minute, but really it's Belle and Mila. Belle, as I've mentioned, is treated appallingly through the whole episode. Every man in her life has decided that not only does she not have the ability to make her own decisions, despite being frequently referred to as the most clever of the Disney princesses and 90% of her personality in the original film being based around, I don't know, how fucking smart she is, but they've also decided that they need to take the ability to make her own choices out of her hands entirely. Like, the shit both Rumpel and her dad pull is abusive, toxic, and disgusting. And I know the end is supposed to be kind of heartwarming, but as someone who has been in a toxic, abusive relationship, it reads as the sort of manipulative apology that just means he'll be back to the way he treated you before next week, honestly. Then we have Mila. Like, poor fucking Mila. This woman's existence is misery, and she's supposed to just stiff upper lip it because she just doesn't have any value outside of being a wife and a mother, and if she deviates from that expectation, she is supposedly absolutely deserving of this punishment she receives. And the episode even frames it like we're supposed to be on board with her murder instead of recognizing that this woman is in a terrible, terrible situation, and she saw a way to have a life that wasn't going to be a constant misery. And this is apparently a crime that makes her worth really nothing more than being fridged for triple man pain. Like, she's only allowed to exist as a plot point for the men in her life, and she deserves better than that. Like, I've, I've said it before, the only things I liked about this episode at all are charming and that we finally get to see hot Captain Eyeliner. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, because I remember watching this episode for the first time and not caring too much for Mila, but on this rewatch, I felt so bad for her and her situation. Because even if Mila leaving Bay without a word was a, was a, was a shitty thing to have done, Rumpelstiltskin killing Mila is an absolutely unforgivable act. Like, this is his own irredeemable moment. Like, I know he's essentially cursed to be dark, but <laughs> this shit's fucked up, man. It's, it's, it, it's unforgivable. And then poor Belle being controlled by both both her man and her father trying to forcibly isolate her. Like, ugh, I just felt awful for both of them. Poor Belle and Mila. Like, dudes, just learn to communicate and stop trying to control the ladies in your lives. Like, just fucking talk to each other. Everyone take a note out of Charming's book on how to be a supportive partner. Also, this is our first episode that doesn't have our three female leads, Emma, Snow, and Regina. And I, I really miss their presence. You know, this episode moves a few important plots along, but overall it's not a favorite of mine, mostly because it just, it makes me feel bad. <laughs> like, it was hard to even feel excited about Killian in this episode, which is sad because I do love him. And in going into the rewatch of this episode, I was excited because all I remembered about it was that it was the first Hook episode. And then it started and I was like, Oh no. Oh wait, this one's actually really fucked up, guys. <laughs> Not the episode I was thinking of. Well, I don't know. Pour one out for Mila, my friends. She deserved so much better, and I wish she should have been the pirate queen she wanted to be. I've said most of my piece, but I do want to add that Mila was the, the bigger person in this episode, too. She apologized not because she feared for her life or for Killian's life, but because Rumple was calling her out on the legit shitty thing she did in the sense of leaving her son, not leaving him, but like leaving her son, but like, you know, and just kind of walking out in the night and stuff. But she took responsibility. Like she said, I am sorry. 
Like, I, I am sorry for that. I am. I shouldn't have done that. I should have at least, you know, talked to you or, you know, told you this. And you're right. I, I was a coward and I was just, you know, but I was being consumed by my own misery. And he's just like not letting it. I'm not saying like not letting it go, but he is not, again, he is not hearing her and he mm-hmm. is not then taking his own responsibility. And she's not even turning it on him. Mm-mm. Like she's not. And she totally has reasons to. You know, like she'd be like, dude, you were not willing to work it out with me. Like I asked you to do this. I I needed, I needed a partner, you know, and I didn't have one. I felt like I didn't have one. And I feel like their dialogue could have just gone a lot better instead of like her just being very reductive to, oh, you're a coward. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I wish you at least bought. You know, because those kinds of lines, I think that's kind of why like people do dislike her initially. You know, they're like, oh, like what's this bitch's problem? Like you wish your husband had fought and died in a war? Like how fucked up is that? You would rather have that than your, you know, because you know, right, it comes out off as like ableist and like all this kind of like all these other problems. But then like, you know, yeah, you see that like it, there is more to it than than just that, you know, there is more to that. And these are two people who just grew apart over time. I I don't think their marriage was necessarily arranged, although I'm sure like maybe down the line, you know, we might get a little bit more of that. But certainly like, like, I think it's supposed to like imply that they married young and, you know, their lives just weren't, their personalities, you know, just weren't um, overall complementary to each other, which is fine. People grow apart, you know, and then you just fucking leave each other. I don't, you know, like it's, Uh, murder is not the answer friends <laughs> murder is not the answer moral of the story and you know the shitty part is is that all of it <laughs> mm-hmm. uh all of it all of it is shitty like you're we're supposed to be rooting for rumple and bell but i'm like if i knew nothing about once upon a time and you only showed me like this episode maybe i'd have been like oh my god is her fate to be murdered by this guy yeah oh yeah absolutely because that seems like because we're paralleling here and And i'm like that's a toxic precedent yeah and it's like uh, i don't know like we get so many answers down the line but it's like you're revealing things in such breadcrumbs you know like really piecemealing you know like just like little tiny pieces of the puzzle that it's like, I think the writers get their heads so far up their own ass because they're seeing a bigger picture already put together and they're not paying attention to how the narrative comes off week by week unfolding, you know? And I'm not saying that there is going to be justification for Rumpel killing Mila because there isn't. But like sometimes like when horrible shit happens, there is some sort of like controlling factor or, you know what I'm saying? Like, again, yeah, like the dark curse, it's corrupting him, you know? Oh, it's just, it's just, it's awful. It's yeah. awful and so misogynistic. And you're right. The men just need to do better. And like, they're trying to like develop these female characters that they have no business fucking writing. I'm like, if you don't know how to do it, honey, then don't do it. And guess what? You don't know how to do it. No, they're ultimately just using them as a tool to further the plots of the men. Absolutely. Yeah. 
this episode is very hard. Like at first I was super excited about it. Cause I was like, yeah, you're going to pull up stuff. And then like, I get to it and I'm like, oh, oh, this is not fun. This is sad. I don't like sad. But I was like, yay, Ruby. <laughs> Ruby is, is our light in the darkness. I know. Well, and charming. 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 And charming, of course. Yeah. Charming. And his- Giving rumple dating advice is the best. <laughs> yeah. I do love that he looks out. Are you coming to me for <laughs> dating advice? Like he's just like tone of, I will never fucking let you live this down. This yeah. is going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture. He takes a selfie. Ah, uh, remember this day forever. Besties for life. <laughs> Wait till I tell my wife. Wait till I tell my wife. He's like, oh God. <laughs> Let's get to the uh, the good parts of this episode, which is the costumes. There is good costumes. There Mila's pirate costumes. costumes. Oh, it's so badass. I love ninety nine percent of it. I did not like the gaudy necklace. It looked a little plastic and cheap. I mean, pirates can be kind of gaudy looking. That's fine, but I just like that necklace just didn't go but the um but her outfit and the belt and those sleeves like oh, and the pants the trousers look so good so, so good so good um ruby's red blouse and leather pants outfit which i think she has worn before and we've commented on before is real hot very super stylish ruby's look in this episode is is a super top tier look for her ruby looked a plus as usual and I also loved Mila's pirate outfit, but I think the best costume choice made in this episode really was just putting Charming in something sleeveless. <laughs> and tight. Yeah, because those guns should not be hidden from the world. Mm-mm. Those guns are blazing. Mm. Best part of the episode was just Charming's guns. <laughs> it would have been great, honest to God, if he was like whistling or singing, hi-ho, hi-ho. That would have been very good. Oh. would have been cute. Uh-huh. And then of course, uh, Captain Hook. I mean, such a good look. Such a good look. Very iconic. I mean, you, you really can't say too much about it because it's just like, ah, bravissimo. <laughs> Poor Belle in those red heels. Like, they look good, but you can see her almost wipe out as she first approaches the library. And it makes me so worried about her ankles. I know. Like, you you literally see her almost twist her ankles. Yeah, she does the little wobble. The heel yeah, wobble. And I'm just like, oh, honey. Honey, no. Like, for real, those shoes are cute, but like, give the poor girl something she can walk in and not die, please. Okay, time to play Who's That Guest Star, in which we talk about recurring cast members and guest stars. In season two, episode four, we have Canadian-born Eric Keenly-side as Sir Maurice, aka Mo French. He's known for his roles in Superman and Lois, Father Michael and Loudermilk, Martha's Vineyard Murder Mysteries, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, among many other roles over his near 40-year acting career. Rachel Shelley as Mila. English actress Rachel Shelley is best known for her roles in television shows such as Deep State, Different for Girls, The L Word, Casualty, and Rogue. Chris Gothier as William Smee. English actor Chris Gothier is is a serial character actor with roles on television and films like Freddy vs. Jason, Harper's Island, Smallville, Eureka, A Series of Unfortunate Events, and Supernatural. Little Sebastian Wilkinson as Young Balefire. Wilkinson only has appeared in three little-known titles outside of Once Upon a Time, but I thought it was a good it was good to give him a wee shout out for his cuteness. <laughs> Going, mommy, poor Bay, poor Bay, little teeny baby Bay. So, Elisa, where are we on the Once Upon a Timeline? All right. So this one's a little interesting because these flashbacks are split into two halves. 
So the first half of the flashbacks are actually the furthest back flashbacks we've seen so far in this show. And then we get to the point where human Rumpelstiltskin leaves Killian's ship. We can split the flashbacks up. And the next part in the timeline would be the flashback scenes in season one, episode eight, Desperate Souls, where we see Rumpelstiltskin become the dark one. And then after that would be the flashbacks in season one, episode 19, The Return, where we see Rumpelstiltskin refuse to follow Bay to the land without magic. Following that episode, we pick right back up with this episode's second half, starting with Rumpelstiltskin talking to Smee about the magic bean in the tavern. So it's the first half of the flashbacks, then season one, episode eight, then season one, episode 19, and then the second half of the flashbacks. And the episode closest to picking up after this that we've seen so far is season one, episode five, That Still Small Voice, which is like a couple hundred years later, give or take, after this one. And that's it for me. All right. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, while Regina continues to try and stop using her magic in an attempt to win back Henry's affections, she begins seeing what she believes is a ghost from her past, and Mary Margaret and Emma discover a lone survivor from an ogre massacre. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale land that was, Regina finds herself failing at learning the dark arts from Rumpelstiltskin because something from her past is preventing her from using her magic for evil. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, hey male writers, you need to do better by the female characters you take it upon yourself to write. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Back in Storybrooke, Smee places dump... Oh my god, I was... Honest to God, you guys about to say Dumbledore. I don't know why. <laughs> Fucking hell. This is Dumbledore. <laughs> Dumbledore. I don't know. <laughs>